Hello and thanks for your company for another edition of Tui's News, the podcast. Brought to you each and every week during the footy season by the Newcastle Herald and our major sponsor, West Group. I'm Barry Tui alongside the demigod of the dials. <laughs> are we recording? Yes, Simon, we are. Yes. <laughs> Simon McCarthy. You got everything right, is it? Yep. Yeah. Um, all of these lights can't be flashing for no reason. <laughs> The demigod of the dolls. How are you, mate? All right? I'm good, Baz. How are you? Very good. Very good. <laughs> Scraping the bottom of the barrel as usual. <laughs> <coughs> anyway, we're, mate, we're approaching the pointy end of the season, they call it. The pointy end. Um, and I've got to say, the excitement levels in town are as good as they've ever been uh, from the Knights' point of view, Newcastle Knights' point of view, on the back of... Well, a remarkable seven-game winning streak. That um, There's two games to go, Cronulla on Sunday, and the following weekend, the final round against the Dragons at Cogra. Now, if the Knights win both those games, they will finish fifth and will um, get a home semi-final. And if my calculations are correct, which they never are, <laughs> but if my calculations are correct... Um, or my predictions are correct, and the Knights do win their last two games, and I've got a sneaking suspicion the Raiders might lose their last two games, the Canberra Raiders, and that will mean, I'm touching wood as I say this, <laughs> that will mean the Knights will play the Raiders yeah. um, in that elim- elimination semi-final in Newcastle. And if that happens, we'll get a situation uh, where we'll have basically three sellout crowds in a row because at this stage we had a sellout against the <coughs> I've been losing my voice against South Sydney and <coughs> there'll be a sellout I reckon on Sunday against the uh, the Sharks um, and then we'll come we'll go away for a week and then we'll come back hopefully for a week for the semi-final to another sellout which is uh, just unheard of uh, never happened in the history of the club so Twenty nine to ten, the win over um, Souths um, b- before a crowd of in excess of twenty nine thousand. Um, really strong performance. I think they've still got to improve. There's got there's some improvement left in there. Um, certainly, the brand of footy they're playing with the football's been outstanding. Kalen Ponger was sensational again. Greg Marju was terrific. The forward pack were really good. No Jackson Hastings, but um, Adam Clune came in and did a great job. Uh, it was a fantastic day at the stadium because our girls um, took on the Brisbane Broncos uh, prior to the, the NRL game, were down 16-4 with 12 minutes to go, um, which prompted Max McKinney, the, our Oh, Night's yeah. guru here yeah. to write them off and was looking for you know this is <gasps> this is the first loss that the Knights have ever had at home. McKinney, what are you doing? And within the space of I reckon thirty seconds, the Knights had scored. Yeah. Um, and in the end, um, <laughs> <laughs> he pulled a Dr. Craig Hamilton. Yeah. In the end, uh, Shanice, raised the dead. <laughs> Shanice Parker scored a try with um, oh about a minute to go, and and Jesse Southwell calmly converted uh, with about. I think there was about four seconds left on the uh, on the clock to give them a 22-20 win. Um, so that was a great start to the afternoon, and the and the the bo- the men. I was going to say boys. They're still boys to me, a lot of them. But the men um, did the job, got the job done after that. Um, as I said, 29 to 10. 
Um, so on the verge of the semis, we're not there yet, mind you. If they lost their last two, then we probably miss out. We will miss out, presumably. So we need at least another win, but uh, another two, I reckon, to finish fifth would be fantastic. So that game on Sunday, 4 p.m. kickoff. The, the girls are also playing the Sharks prior to the uh, the NRL game at uh, 1.45. So it'll be another big day. Another big day. Um, would be remiss of me not to mention the real NRL they're up to their preliminary final stage. So uh, Maitland in the first grade are through to the grand final already. Um, the the preliminary final will be between South Newcastle and Cessnock at Curry, kicking off at 2pm, the first grade game on Saturday. So it won't be clashing with uh, the NRL game um, at McDonald Jones Stadium. So anyone that's um, involved in rugby league and wants to have a look at a quality game, then uh, Curry's the place to be on Saturday um, for that preliminary final. Okay, well, as you'd imagine, the mailbag is bulging this week, so it'll probably take an hour to get through the bloody questions (laughs) later on. But before then, uh, we'll be back after this with our special guest, um, a former Knights coach, David Waite. We're recording this. Here he is. Renault. Hey, Phil. Hey, Buzz. Are we on? Are we recording? You're ready for us, are you? I am, mate. If you're ready, we can call me back. Oh, we are sort of recording, but I've, I've got a little intro to read first before... Uh... Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> and our guest this week, Knights Prop, Daniel Safidi, Nathan Ross, Jared Mullen, Anthony Seabold, Jaden Braley. It's a great privilege to have uh, Tim Zhu. Mark Hughes. Hello, Hughesy. Mitchell Pearce, the greatest knight of all time. Paul Harrigan, good morning. Kurt Gidley, welcome to the podcast, kids. The one and only Kirk Reynolds. And hello, Reno. Mate, I've been waiting my whole life for this, Barry. <laughs> Our special guest today is a man who, um, well, he did so much to help lay the foundations for this wonderful club we have here in Newcastle. He's a a foundation lower grade coach and development guru who went on to coach first grade in town. Uh, He was, well, for four years, I think in the early 90s, he was uh, the head coach of the Newcastle Knights, took the Knights to their first final series appearance in 2002. Uh, He gave the great Andrew Johns his debut uh, before going on to coach the St. George Dragons to two grand finals. And then he even had a stint as the Great Britain coach in England. Um, He's still involved in rugby league, I think, on the Gold Coast. I'll ask him about that uh, in just a moment. But uh, a big welcome to to David Waite. Hello, Waitey. Hi, Barry. How are you? Long time. Yes, mate. How are you going? Nice to talk to you. Very well, mate. As long as you're, we're both healthy, that's the main thing. That's it, isn't it? Isn't it? You're on the Absolutely. Gold Coast, mate. You're still involved in rugby league up there. Yeah, yeah. I'm uh, currently being conned into becoming a president of the Runaway Bay Junior Rugby League Football Club. <laughs> I don't know how that happened, but you think both with grey hair like me to have enough sense. Um, <laughs> but I suppose, <laughs> I suppose, if you love the game, you love the game, and if you can help help people, which is where I started, I suppose in my football career was helping people when I stopped playing to who aspire to get there, uh, help them along the way. Yeah, well, you've, you've you've done plenty of that over the years. I, you mentioned your playing career, Wadey. I want to talk to you about that before we um, 
before we kick off basically your, your coaching career and, and 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 you're coming to Newcastle um, a lot of people may not realize but you're you're a ex kangaroo played uh, played on the wing for the kangaroos I think you played what you might have played six tests did you for for the kangaroos yep. for Australia um, yeah I played I played six for Australia four against Great Britain and two against France well, you, on the way home from England in 1973. Yeah, well, your your first test was against Great Britain at, at uh, I think it was at Headingley. You, Australia Correct. won, Australia won 14 six. And just to throw a few names out there, uh, you'd you'd have been about what 22. 20, yeah, I was 20, 21. 21. 21. Yep. Um, yep. Graham Eady was the fullback in that, um, and I'm not going to go through the whole side, but Graham <laughs> Eady was the fullback. Um, yeah. Mate, I've done a little bit of research, to be honest. I haven't got the memory. Uh, nothing's changed, mate. <laughs> Bob Fulton, Tom Radonigas in the halves. I might be telling you some stuff you might have forgotten. No, no, that's correct. Uh, um, that's and, correct. And two of the forwards, uh, legends, Arthur Beats and Bob McCarthy. Uh, Graham Langlands was the coach. It was uh, correct. Yeah, for a, Graham broke his hand in a, in a match, a club match during the week. It was my first test match, and it was Graham Eady's first test match at Headingley. Yeah. Okay, so Graham Langlands was um, had a broken hand. Would have yeah. been a captain coach, I guess. I think he did captain coach in one of your tests um, the following year in in seventy. Yeah, he was still captain coach in seventy four. Seventy four. Yes. So, yeah. and and to you, you basically, I think. In '73, I think you um, you were playing for West Wollongong, weren't you? You you were you played yep. country, then New South Wales, and went on a kangaroo tour when you weren't even playing in a for a, uh, well back in those days it would have been the New South Wales Rugby League competition. Correct, yeah. No, I was in the in the country rugby league division of Illawarra. Yeah, um, and two of two from the countryside that year. One basically legend, Mick Cronin, and I were the two that. Uh, went the way through the system of country, New South Wales, then New South Wales, Queensland, Queensland to Australia. So, um, yeah, so Mick and I were the ones that came through that year. Well, that must um, have been a, a just a, to be in the, you know, with those calibre of players as a 21-year-old, you would have uh, <laughs> would have been pretty special, I'd imagine. Yeah, well, Sludge was, and Steve Rogers was only 19, I think, and I think Jeff Starling was even younger than he was. He was the centre yeah. at that stage, Ray Brenning and Jeff Starling. Because those they moved to five eight, so um, yeah, that were uh, that was a, a pretty. F- we only lost one game, and um, historically, the nineteen seventy three kangaroos, which coincidentally is fifty years, as Johnny Lang reminded me last week. <laughs> um, it's fifty years since we won the game on ice at uh, Wildersville, which is Warrington, and they haven't won it back since nineteen seventy three. Yeah. So it's a long, long time. The irony was that I ended up coaching against Australia to try and get it back. You did. You had and, a little bit of success too, didn't you? Well, it causes a little. It caused a little bit of angst. Well, I bet I think, it did. With, with a number of um, uh, famous people in England, but uh, as as countries evolved and they, they they looked other other places rather than in their, in their own backyard. And performance directors and coaches, whether it be swimming or gymnastics, moved around the world to coach other countries. And, yep. Um, but unbeknownst to a lot of those people, I had a British passport anyway. My dad was an Englishman. He, he was. You could have and, played for um, England. He what? You could have played for England. Well, there you go. Mm. I wasn't good enough. So, um, <laughs> so the irony was uh, to, to get a to sit there at Henningley again. 
talking to the press about coaching against Australia was um, was was quite mind blowing actually. So yeah, we been. did beat him in the first one, by the way. You did. So I just said but you we had can't to be beat him in two out of three there. No, we went, we went close. I think it was about a a twelve or a fourteen point spread across three test matches in my last year of coaching. So that's pretty close. Yeah, fourteen points over three games against the the might of the kangaroos. What, what, just just um, off the top of your head, do you know what number kangaroo you are? No idea. <laughs> 447. Really? You are the 447th kangaroo. Well, there you go. There's that research coming out of your face. Awesome. <laughs> um, you, okay. saw, you signed with Cronulla back in yep. in uh, 74. I think you had uh, two or three seasons at Cronulla, but uh, injuries um, played a part in sort of almost finishing your career, didn't they? Yeah, well, it, it certainly had an impact. Um, I had a knee injury on my birthday at Neverfield and uh, didn't play probably for 12 or 15 months after that. Five, uh, five never operations later to get me back on the park. Uh, I think I finished in the reserve grade grand final that year and Billy Smith was playing, and uh, well, that, who was my childhood hero. So that, that was good fun. Yeah. Um, but then I basically retired but got coerced out of it. Yes, in 78, um, by your mentor, Warren Ryan, who had a big influence on your career, obviously. Yeah, yeah, he, he did. I met Warren as a PE teacher at Belmore Boys High School, where I went, and um, he became a, a sort of a, a rugby league advisor to the family and myself and showed me a little bit about, give me the insight into the game of rugby league, which uh, I was very lucky to get. I was in front of the average bear, so to speak, in understanding... Uh, what I could do and what you should be doing when you're carrying the football, etc. And um, that's the reason I went to Wollongong and uh, the rest is history. I, I went through there and did okay playing the game. But obviously, I think you played seven games that year, Wadey. What Was the injury, um, was that what stopped you playing more that year as well and that sort of finished your playing career? Seven games at, at, at West? Yeah. You know, Warren was coaching 23s and they, they, they lost, I think they lost Mullins and Warren Boland and a few. They were looking for an out, experience outside back. Yep. Um, and um, so Warren, obviously Warren threw my name to Roy and so I decided to do the pre-season training and not not being overly intelligent, I said, well, listen, if I'm, I've lost pace, basically. If I'm not in the top four over you know, 70 or 80 metres, this, this is pointless if I'm going to play wing, centre or whatever. Mm. So I said, listen, I'll train and we'll have a bit of a foot race at the end of the year. I went and, uh, of course, I was allowed to come forth. <laughs> <laughs> so, therefore, I had to uh, honour my promise. So, and that's how that uh, that year happened. So, But, I'm, you know, we were minor premiers that year. We had a terrific year. We had a very, very good team the pleasure of playing with Donnelly and Les Boyd and Tommy and 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 Co. Yeah. Um, and that was the year of the face slapping. And, I was just about to ask you. And, what... world, and world War Ones and Twos and the days where, you know, it got a bit fed income occasionally. Who, who was slapping your face? Well, Barry, I know you're a long time, mm. but there's only 13 boats going to run on the field. Mm. And when the whistle went, uh, 13 is not an even number, so one was missing. <laughs> and I found a urinal, actually. Oh, when yes. When that whistle went, I, I actually felt like an urge to go to the toilet. <laughs> no, that's not quite true. The first time, we, I, I toured in the country team with, with Dallas. Yeah. So when I, I hadn't been in first grade for quite some time, with, I got the un, 
unfortunate job of reserve grade captain. But I eventually got to first grade, and I knew what was coming because we'd seen it. Yeah. And um, I, I felt confident sitting down beside Dallas, and uh, so Dallas was the first one. Dallas I Donnelly. Yeah. Another. I never. I never sat in those other seven games beside anyone who's going to hit me. So. <laughs> That's true. That's actually very, very true. Yeah, wow. Yeah, That's what, the true story. What would have been the experience playing with a few of those blokes, I would imagine? Yeah. Oh, no, it was just that. That was the year of the Fibro men. Yeah. The coach was quite very, very clever in, in managing men and uh, adopting a, a process of the Fibro blokes against the, the, manly, <laughs> the manly mob and the gold chains and the yellow shorts and the, but no, he it was a great year. It was a very very good year, and um, one that you don't forget when we were supposed to come last and we end up being minor premiers. So that was a great year. Mm. Great players, great great to play with, great players. Were you um, thinking becoming a coach even before you finished your playing career? Was that something that you were thinking about? Uh, no. Um, I ended up going to, when I finished playing, I began to do a bit of strength and conditioning with Warren when Warren was coaching Newtown. He wanted me to coach. He suggested I should coach. And I said, listen, I'm five years younger than these, these blokes. There's no chance of me coaching. <laughs> so I did some conditioning stuff uh, at Newtown, and Johnny Lewis was there with Warren at, at Newtown. Uh, so I did that. Coaching came. Was ne- I never aspired to be a coach, but, but coaching did come to me in the school board because I was a PE teacher. Yep. And they rang up and said, oh, would I be interested in um, applying to coach the New South Wales Combined High Schools side? And that was sort of 1979, and that was my first entry into that level of football. Of course, you coach the, lo- the schoolboy teams in your own school. Yep. So you're coaching, doesn't matter, basketball, rugby, doesn't matter, we coach whatever was going. So... So I coached a bit of rugby league there, but then I ended up getting that job. Um, so, and that was the start of of, of coaching for well, you, me. You coached the um, Australian schoolboys in 84. Yeah, I coached the, the, the CHS for, 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 to two, for two years, and I coached the Australian schoolboys for, for a, a couple of years. In those days, they, they used to turn it over every couple of years yep. to give as many people the opportunity to, to have the, the pleasure of coaching the the best kids at school and the best kids at school in the country, and taking those to England and then being doing, having done that was a, that was a great opportunity to to um, to be involved with very very talented players. Who was uh, the best schoolboy kid you coached? Uh, Bradley Clyde. Okay. Bradley was uh, Bradley's outstanding. He, yeah, one of my favourite all time players, Bradley Clyde. Well, he's, he's certainly one of mine, and mm. he's got a unique record, mate. Every time he played. In England, he won his own team man of the match, as well as the opposition's man of the match. <laughs> and then when he played for Australia as a as a senior, first time, and he won man of the match. Mm. Like that is incredible. <laughs> that is incredible. And uh, he, he was a, a, a fine player and a, and, a, and a fine young man as well. So um, yeah, he was he was probably the pick of um, the pick of them. But I mean, that's if you have a look what <laughs> the quality of the players that. You know, it's amazing if you look at the, the players that were in those teams. But Bradley was certainly outstanding. Mm. Um, Canterbury under twenty threes. I think the year the the year after that, or one of those Australian schoolboy years, uh, eighty five maybe to eighty seven. You coached um, the Canterbury under twenty threes, which basically led 
um, you into coming up to Newcastle? Yeah. Well, I never lost contact with uh, with Warren because, you know, the best players are playing for New South Wales and Australian schoolboys, and the clubs are after those players. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, um, so you are in a situation where your phone rings or, or if you know people, they're asking advice, what are your opinion on certain players and all those sorts of things. So that that year in particular, uh, I, already, I was I was at Sawtell and Warren came up, drove up and uh, said, would I be interested in going back? I was, my wife and I and family were heading towards Ballina. Cause that's where my wife's from. That's where her parents were. And we wanted our kids to grow up up, up on the coast yeah. rather than in the city. But uh, obviously Warren convinced me to go back to Sydney um, to coach at Canterbury, but I wasn't hadn't left teaching yet, so I went back to Concord High School yep. for one more year. And then then Newcastle were in the throes of uh, developing an, an, uh, their own interest in playing in the NRL, and obviously there'd been a lot of groundwork done, and there was a for, for recollection that I think Warren was going to coach first grade, Alan was going to coach third grade, a uh, second grade, and I was going to be the under twenty threes coach as well as the development officer, which was really what I I was looking forward to. So, yeah, my life was about helping people be ready, get ready, and get better at what they're doing. In should they be good enough to be identified to go further, well, I'd like to play that part. So that's that's where I I ended up quitting teaching and and going to Canterbury as another 23 coach. Mm. Um, and then, obviously, Warren was chased to go to be the first coach at uh, Newcastle, which um, obviously didn't work out because I think he promised a couple of players at West, where he was at the time, that he would be there the following year, and he didn't break that promise. Yep. I think Langmack and, and co. And uh, so Alan ended up coaching, and I got shifted up. I think Finchie came into the, 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 the lower grade there, and, and I still had the position as a development officer and as a coach. So that's the common denominator is, is really one person uh, in in all that in that stage of my life. Anyway, mm. um, that got me to to the Newcastle for um, we worked in '87, of course, before we kicked off in '88. So we're pretty heavily involved in '87. Did you what What did you did you love that period of time being being a big part of establishing a a new club, um, obviously bringing in a lot of players, but also, as you mentioned, your, your great love for development, that was a, a big part of the early years of the Knights was developing well, was the their own part. talent. Yeah, that was the biggest part. I'm well well and truly aware of the basic philosophy about those who started the club. We had, we had to, had to grow your product. Mm. We, we knew just on maths, the number of players, we did a lot of work and research on the number of players and how many would be capable that we believe we could get through. We, and the target was um, to get 75% local within five years playing first grade. And so that's very close to the year of 92, isn't it? Exactly. <laughs> and and to the credit of Newcastle, uh, to the credit of the schools, to the credit of the junior league volunteers, to the credit of the town that bought into uh, the development systems um, that we put in place, both in primary school and high school uh, and the junior leagues and in the Matthews, Assisty Ball, Jersey Flag stuff, 
Uh, that wouldn't happen without the cooperation of Newcastle. And of course, when you're responsible for putting a plan into action, you make decisions. You don't keep everybody happy uh, because it's completely new and different. But the cooperation that I received initially when I was on my own, I, I said it was a wasn't too long that I realised that I need another person. So yeah. we went and, and bumped into a bloke called Keith Onslow, who became really important over the time as well. That we ended up with the system, uh, particularly in our juniors, um, and we had a. a that was sort of my area, whereas uh, the two Allens were sort of responsible for the coach education of identified coaches at the same time uh, that we're going to move in, into that system. Um, we had a pretty good plan. And uh, as I said, there's no plan works without the cooperation of the people you're dealing with. Mm. And uh, we were, were very, very, very thorough in the way we went about that. So it, that plan that you put in place back then, is that – is would that still work today? Uh, in, my, in my mind, absolutely would. Yeah. Um, but it, there's an awful lot of manpower and there's an awful lot of cooperation required and a lot of time from the people involved in doing it. You know, I don't know if you remember that we we had a system where Oak was the sponsor. Yep. We thought, you know, in those days, I suppose, not quite the same that Oak was a, a good, healthy thing to do, you know, Milk and that was good for you. So we had a, a basic skills thing with with, with Oak that we we had a a series schools program for both primary schools and high schools, and we never went anywhere without the colours of the school, the juniors, and the knights. So, uh, and we actually went and did the first. We left you know a month's supply of equipment for all the PE teachers and sports teachers at the school too, so they could do units of work on rugby league, and we'd go and help them do those units of work. So. Um, we were very, very strong disciples in the way we wanted to help the players develop. And so those players would move into the junior representative system. And I think, gee, by, by 1992, we won the junior club championship. So that's only four years. Yeah. Uh, we Did... won premierships in 1990, in the lower, in the junior premiership. Uh, I don't know whether we've done that again. You probably know whether we've been junior club champions again, maybe Early 2000, we were pretty strong in the juniors, but but that's where your future is. If everyone looks at the top side now, and guess what happened to them? They did the they did the same stuff, mate. Yeah. Have a look where they sit on the junior club championship level. Talking about how Penrith. often they win the junior? Yeah. Yes. So the strength of the club is 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 in the juniors, and um, particularly a, a, a club like Newcastle, where we weren't at that stage in those years able to compete financially with the more affluent clubs. So we had to grow our own and, and that suited us because we had a fairly tough edict about sort of the players that we thought were, were going to represent us in first grade going forward. So and it still it still holds up today, mate. So did you nothing changes in, in development, mate. Did you have the players, the the current players back then um, involved as well? Did you did you have that luxury? Yeah. 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 You know, I remember the few. There's a couple of very good players working around the ISC there for a while. Mm. I think Robbie Ross and the Johns boys and O Davis and these people. But yeah, when we went to a school, we went with a player. Yeah. When we ran our coaching clinics, there were the colours were the school colours, the junior rugby league colours, and the night colours. You had to go through a colour, a kaleidoscope of colours, if you like. There, that's where you got to go. There's your pathway. Follow those colours. 
and if you have the ability or we can get that ability from you because sometimes players don't know how good they can be um you, you, that's the way to get to first grade of the night so that was a, a clear stepping stone and a clear pathway for anyone wherever we went that was the way we did that that connection mm. well you you when Alan McMahon pulled the pin you took over as as first grade coach um was yeah. that 91 and 92 you mentioned 92 um and we've got a big 92 reunion happening on old boys day on uh, on sunday um i presume the whole 92 team are going to be um or most of them anyway are going to be uh, in, I hope so. including yourself are going to be uh in newcastle yeah a bit difficult for me because we're running as i said earlier i'm the president of the junior league here but we're running we're hosting week two of the semis on my home ground up here but um so you're delegating is that what you're telling me yeah that's a nice way of putting it <laughs> yeah so i i uh, you've got some good people up there up. obviously I would, i'd love to catch up with a lot of those i know we had a, apparently through Stephen crathers we're, we're trying to find where our, where bugsy malane is and uh and get, trying to get in touch with jamie ains co as well Okay. So, um, but Crowey assures me that, that there's a, a very good roll-up of the 92. But it doesn't matter 92 first grade. 92 was a fantastic year for the club in all grades. So uh, to catch up with the people involved in that um, and remembering the excitement of it all and whether or not we're allowed to take the horse down to the main stadiums. I can remember Lee Moore getting up in arms about the, the refusal of that for a while, but... Uh, yeah, it was a good year. It was a good year, and uh, I don't go back often. But '92 reunion is probably one that uh, obviously is going to draw, draw me back. Yeah, well, first first time the club ever in seniors in the first grade. First time uh, the club made the finals. Thirteen wins, nine losses, two draws that year. Um, I, I actually had um, a few of the boys. I had Brad Godden on the podcast not that long ago, uh, reminis- no, right. reminiscing about uh, the 92 season and, and the kangaroo tour that he went on at the end of it. Um, yeah. Western Suburbs in the in the in basically the elimination semifinal, 21 to 2, you beat them. Yeah, that's a bit irony, isn't it? That's a bit of an irony. It was coaching West. Yes. I, yeah, I would imagine that would have felt pretty satisfying, did it, or not? Well, that you beat- absolutely did. Absolutely to win. Um, absolutely. Absolutely to win because, you know. We're talking about Warren Ryan involved. coaching West, yeah, obviously. he was coaching West. And, yes. And another a friend of mine, Andrew Farrell, was playing for West yep. that day. And we won comfortably. And um, we had a, we had a, obviously had a, an idea of a plan, what we went to do. And they stuck to it. They, they played very, we played very well and stuck to the plan for a long time. And, so uh, yeah, we got we got through that one, but yeah, given the history as a from a fourteen old fourteen year old and person who never aspired to be a first grade coach at all, that was never where I intended to to go. I wanted to help people, and that just was something that happened. But then to to coach against a, a guy I worked with and won premierships at Canterbury, and then to knock them off in our first ever semi finals that. To, to, uh, to move forward to play again the next week was was personally very satisfying, yeah. Do you talk I can't to speak you? on Warren. I can't speak for Warren. No, I, I'd imagine <laughs> he would have been filthy. Did you talk to him afterwards? Well, normally I did because he, he used to tell me that the losers walk and 
I didn't have a visitor that day. <laughs> oh well, yeah. Losing is not real much fun, is it? And and the following and week, trust me, it's not. No, the following. Trust fo- me, I'm supposed to be talking about nineties, not two thousand. Well, we'll be talking about two thousand <laughs> in a minute. Um, the following week, obviously, the the Dragons. Um, a 3-2 defeat, like a soccer score, a 3-2 defeat. I think it was Peter Coyne who kicked the field goal, the difference in the two teams. Uh, and they, they went on, They I think they got beat in the grand final by the Broncos, but they, 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 went, on, they went on to make the grand final, the Dragons. So you, the, the team was very, very close to um, going all the way. Yeah, yeah. I, I, and somewhere in the media, I remember Alfie saying, we don't want to play, we don't want to play the Knights. Mm. And... Um, which is not a good move to do, not a good thing to do. You know, I think E.T. did it later uh, for us when I was at St. George. He put out a statement early. But no, um, yeah, it was close, obviously. Uh, I think Matty Johns went on for the last 10 minutes and to this day still doesn't understand why I left him on the side for so long. <laughs> but there is a there is a moment. Tony Herman? That game, just after Matthew goes on, that we, we could have scored down a short side on the left-hand side of the field. And um, being an old winger, I think that we uh, that we were, were just a bit late arriving on that short side there. So that was our only chance for a try. It was very, very close, and it was in the last 10 minutes down was, the left-hand side of the field. So Is that Matty Johns being late arriving? Is that what you mean? No, no, no. Oh, no. It wasn't no, his fault. I think it might have been. Well, I don't know whether it was Sarge or I think Tony Herman might have been on the wing then. Was that, um, t- was that the but, Tony but Herman that, double movement game? Yeah, I'm not sure whether it was a double movement. It was close. It was very, very close. And Matthew always said, what I put him on? I said, well, you're the only one. Yeah, yeah. I reckon you got enough front in you to try and create something because there's not much happening out there. So off you go, son. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, no, that was uh, well, it was a very, very defensive game. We actually they played very well. They kicked off a second receiver. Coin kicked the ball very, very well that day against us. Mm. And um, but it was a good year. It was a good year from good players. Um, Andrew Johns. You mm-hmm. you debuted him in '93. Everyone talks about Joey's the first game of '94, where he, when he broke the point scoring record or whatever, he scored 23 points or something mm-hmm. in that game against South Sydney. But he actually played uh, three games off the bench the previous season. I think you debuted him in round six against the Gold Coast. Did he come on at fullback? Uh, you're in front of me, mate. I'm not sure. <laughs> Tell me about. Um, Honestly, I'm not sure. No, that's fine. I, I've got okay. a feel. I got a feeling he came off the bench and might have played fullback. I played fullback. Yeah, uh, but I'm. Okay. That's my memory of it, but I can't. Um, well, it's, it's, it's a I'll long bow, mate. There's no problem. It's a long. <laughs> it's a long way back. What? Um, yeah. What about your thoughts about Joey? When did you? Uh, you would have seen him obviously come through the juniors. You would have been mm-hmm. watching the juniors. When did you? Did you see the immortal in Andrew Johns back then? Uh, no, I don't. I'm, I'm, I think I'm a little old and wise enough to not predict that sort of stuff. Mm. But also old and wise enough to see talent. Yep. Um, also, very clear of how serious he was about um, getting better. Uh, and we're very fortunate that in a, in our club at that stage, uh, Alan Bell had, had developed a system for particularly way in front of his time in relation to nine sevens and sixes and and the role they play and how significant they were going to be in that era and going forward. And the work that he did with 
with the players based on all the best ever sixes and sevens and the footage they looked at and the questionnaire. Now, Andrew will freely admit he wasn't overly fussed at school, yeah. but the, the, the stuff that Andrew handed back in relation to his, his pathway going forward was fantastic. You know, he was he was he was genuinely engaged in the process. I remember once we might have been out of Toronto at the National Fitness Camp. I said, "Listen, when you can do all that stuff really, really well, there's nothing stopping you play first grade." And he said to me, "I can do all that. What's next?" <laughs> <laughs> so I said, "Well, maybe your brain will come up with what's next." So he is responsible for changing the way halves play, see, and manage games of football. Mm. And a lot of that's to do with, one, the basic background and the, and the insight he was given, and two, his own natural creativity that you're born with. And um, he was very fortunate that he had that. And uh, I often often refer to him as someone who, when you press the button, the drop-down list has got six. Uh, he follows B, follows because before seeing the alphabet, when when that drop down list falls to some good players, they see two or three. Well, Andrew would understand at least those two or three plus four or five more, and know what's going to happen two plays after that. Mm. So he and he's easily managed through and choosing the right options down that network. So that's where he became so good at it, you know. And uh, yeah, he was. Uh, uh, a talented kid and a talented kid that we had to stop playing because he got Osgood Slatter's disease. I remember taking him to Halpern and stopping playing. And uh, then I remember seeing him when he was disappointed and the Australian schoolboy trials were in Darwin. He didn't make the team. Mm. Came back and was man of the match in reserve grade after playing four or five games up in Darwin. <laughs> so uh, nothing was going to stop him. Mm. What about some of the other players, Wadey, back then that you coached? Um and all the club legends, basically, not most of the club yeah, legends. They, anyway, you, we ca- came through one, while you were here. I mean, um, Chief and Sarge and Hagen, Butterfield, Glanville, David Boyd, Robbie McCormack, Stevie Fulmer. I mean, it, the list goes on. Ashley Gordon, you know, even blokes like Rowdy McKinnon, who you know probably people forget about that um, was here from, from day one, Scotty Carter, Glennie Frendo. Um, we gee, we had some great players back then, didn't we? Yeah, we did. We did. So you, know, you, you either develop that or you identify that and then you develop that. So mm. the people involved in identifying and signing players and the work done within the system once those players arrived in Newcastle with their Novocash in the system they may have come through, like Adam Mew and those guys. So it was, it was, it was only, we got, I think about, in seven years we got nine Australian players. Mm. And uh, I think there's a, a whole heap of players who played for Australia. I think we nearly produced one every year for 10 years that were Novocastrian. Yep. So that's the proof of the program. That wasn't and a fluke. proof of was coaching. It wasn't know? a fluke. No, it's it's by no means a fluke when you look at sevens and sixes and ones. When you have a look at the number of, let's see, you want to start, you mentioned former and all those people. When Matthew, Matty Robwell came through, he was the best junior of the year, best new player of the year. Yeah, rising star. So, yep. so Gordon, Gordon o. Davis, Ro, Ross, Kamali, Johns, Johns, Gordon, 
Bradley Goodwin was a five-eight playing for Maitland when we first saw him. You know, played fullback for Australia. So all those things. It's not by chance that Newcastle produce quality players over decades to play in those positions, and that's really a tribute to the combination initially with with Allen uh, and the coaches who took them. You know, you know, we've had some very very good coaches come through the club. I mean, well, Alan, but um. Grant Bell went on to coach the Cowboys, but Robbie Chew was an outstanding coach. Mm. Um, uh, Rob Finch went on to coach further. There's a lot of a lot of coaches came through. Hague ends up coaching Australia, but you know, so a lot of very very talented people. But someone's got to identify them, and someone's got to get into your system for them to go where they went, so that the environment and the and the atmosphere around the club in those those early years, like from what eighty eight to ninety four, so it is it's produced incredible numbers of players that have played first grade, players that have won multiple competitions, NRL competitions. There's two or three of those in there. Isn't you know Robbie Adavis won it twice, Andrews won it twice, Paulie Markwitz won it twice, Billy Peden's won it twice. Yep. Yeah, you know, that Paulie Mark was like an eighty kilo kid from Roman Terrace High School. What a legend! So, yeah. Rodney Howe, you know, Rod, you know, just it's quite amazing that what was achieved was was achieved. It, it's, but it, if you want to look at it scientifically, the it, it was the coaches who coached the players that helped them develop, and it was the system that was organised from day day one that, that grew from day one from the from the the original. Regional staff, which I happen to be one. Mm. Ninety four was your last year at the Knights, mate. Um, Ninety, uh, sorry, seventy six games in the top grade. You coached. You went to. Yeah, the, okay. You went to the Dragons in in ninety six. Mm-hmm. You were the Dally M Coach of the Year in ninety six. Yeah, um, that's, that's pretty amazing. Yeah. You won three semi-final games, lost the grand final to Manly, <laughs> Manly 22-8 um, in 96. Uh, it must have been a, a great year because I think the I think the previous year, uh, I think Brian Smith may have been coaching the Dragons the he previous was, yeah. year and, and um, might have finished seventh and went out in that first semi. Um, so you would have been lauded, I would imagine. <laughs> <laughs> the Dragons. In well, the celebration after the grand final was pretty unusual. So we lost, but yeah, Manly were a super side. That they year. were. If you, if you, that, I, that, that I, incredible defensive system. I, I did. I didn't. Um, Wadey, I didn't write down all the names because it would have taken me too long. But I, I looked at the no. two. I looked at the two teams, uh, the the Manly team and then the Dragons team that you had for that grand final, and it was chalk and cheese, <laughs> as far as you yeah. know legends of manly go and then you look at the dragons and there was you know nick zisty and lots of lots of players that you remember but not certainly not in the top echelon of of players so i, I would have no, ma- no 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 we were, we just had a good football team yeah you i know, would imagine manly uh, would have been raging hot favorites were they oh they were yeah well yeah defensively they were very very difficult to break yeah break down um and it proved it proved to be that but, uh, yeah, it was interesting that you you move you move on you get moved on from a a club, and um, you end up being a, identified as a good coach against a pretty fair field. 
So that's a that's a fascinating insight into the world of rugby league for all those aspiring coaches. Well, you're not the only one. <laughs> when, they move, that, when they move on, they get that happen. Yeah, you're not that's the only right. one. Well, hey, let's, the Dragons did the same thing. 1999, the infamous 1999 grand final. Um, yeah. U-Bikes led 14 nil at half time. Uh, against yep. against Melbourne, um, obviously were defeated. I think it was twenty to eighteen. The Craig Craig uh, Smith penalty try. Yep. Um, Jamie Ainsco uh, <laughs> would have been shattering, I would imagine, because I think uh, from memory, um, uh, Chock Mundine, I think bombed a try, which probably would have won you the game. Um, mm, no, that was the first half. Yeah, but still, I mean, he dropped he. He he lost the ball with a, a player outside him. Yeah, he didn't pass. Didn't pass. Well, yeah. in the tackle, he lost the ball. Yeah. Hmm. How, yeah, it's worth looking at. How were you? How were you after? How were you? How were you after that loss? Worse than the the ninety six loss, or was that was that would have been more shattering, wouldn't it? Uh, yeah, yeah. Obviously, but I don't think there's ever been a, another grand final has been lost on a penalty try. No. In, in either hemisphere, so that's it's nice on Grand Final Day to see it every every time. So <laughs> I remember Jamie saying, I, "I think to be fair, I think uh, Mr. John Howell was in the dressing room because he was the number one badge holder." Yeah. And Jamie said, "Do you think that'll go down in history?" <laughs> <laughs> if you know Jamie, you know how how relaxed Jamie yes, is. Yes. Yes. And uh, yeah, it was it was it was shattering, mate. Mm. It was shattering because we had a well, – we had a – if you look at – you said the other grand final, you have a look at our team on paper, what's on the bench. Uh, but you've got to remember, I think we lost our first four or five games. We didn't win a game talk on the Hooter at Canberra. To, when you put two two groups of blokes together to form one team, on paper we had a great team, um, but we didn't have the team because it wasn't necessarily cohesive at the time when we started. But we got there in the end and – and got pipped. That's uh, someone's got to lose. And yeah, it was uh, as a, a very, very good football team we had, uh, but didn't quite get there. Mm. Hundred eight thousand was that that grand final? Yeah, that's a bit of a record, apparently. So yeah, never be broken again. Obviously, given the constraints of the stadium. A lot of, a lot of people shared my experience then. Yeah, There's well, there would have been. Supporters. I was going to say there would have been probably a hundred thousand St George supporters there. So um, probably there probably was the army. They would have been there. They would have been there. Well, you mentioned a very mature club, though. Yeah, you mentioned being um, moved on. You, you, the following season, two thousand, was your last season as um, as as coach or head coach of yep. of, of the yep. Dragons. I think um, I, I'd imagine that there was some uh, politics at play because Andrew Farrow, your assistant, became um, head coach in two thousand and one. Um, yep. Obviously, the joint venture. Happened a couple, maybe a year or two before then. So was that was that political? Was that a political Wollongong versus? No, no. It was it was interesting. Let's go back to seventy nine. Andrew was in that seventy nine schoolboys team of mine. Mm. I said to Peter Moore, he said to me, "He's going to play for Australia." I said, oh, "Andrew Farrow," and he did. Mm. Took him three or four years because he came through the old system, the three grade system. Yeah. But he got there. The year before, we had the joint venture. Andrew had done a terrific job with, his, with the Illawarra Steelers, and we decided we'd go co-coaching. Yeah, a little bit of innovation, 
lot in, we weren't copying anyone. We just believed that was the right way to try and help the, the group gel, so to speak. Um, and that's the, that's the way we approached it. Did it work? Uh, I think the players were con- a little confused, and that was feedback that we got. Um, therefore, uh, you'd say to the, the the board that maybe we might go back to the other system. Therefore, maybe you need to make a decision on on which way you want to go moving forward. And they eventually, because um, we did ask around about January or December before that January that they, to make a decision because that would help the team. Yep. But it took till May uh, that following year for them to make the decision, mm. which is fine. Um, there was no real animosity or anything anywhere at the, in the, within the coaching staff or those things. We were we probably could have thought through the process a little differently, but um, football, you, you move on. And um, they still went on to do reasonably well. Um, they certainly had some good players. So um, that, that, left, that left me uh, with a few options to, to follow in my, in my football career. And I chose to follow the, the one to the UK rather than to go to North Queensland or New Zealand. So, yeah, well, you, you did get offered the New Zealand job, didn't you? I mean, you went to, to England and, and, and not only as a, a Great Britain coach, but also heavily involved in the development of the game over there. And you also yeah, I was the I was the performance director. Yeah, okay. So everything that happened underneath Super League, as well as what happens at the international level, was my remit. So hence the two PAs. So one was responsible for that side, and one responsible for the international coaching side of it. So you, it was a big job. Mm. Um, but the coaching at the, the the top side is not such a big job. You're coaching the best. In, in your own opinion and your selector's opinion, what the best side. You know, it's a completely different thing to coaching NRL over one year, two years, three years versus, oh, these are the best players, let's put them together and put play a test match. Yeah. It's a completely different setup, even though the principles of the game are the same, but the time that you have to develop what you need to develop is very short. And, and they are a special breed of people that can, that can gel and win those big tournaments, so. 2006, mate, you um, you were a consultant to Catlins. You must have lived in France for a bit. You were a consultant to Catlins. Um, they're coming into the Super League for the first time. And, and I think at that time, um, while you were over there, um, was Michael Dobson playing? Yeah, Michael Dobson came over to when we, uh, Stacey Jones broke his arm in round two. We tried to build a team around Stacey Jones. Mm. But, yeah, but, but my involvement in the Catalans was about the performance director's role. Yep. They had a group of us on a subcommittee and we're going, what? Well, you can't call this all Super League Europe and you've got no team playing other than in the North England and one team in London. And France was a history. So that group of people in England decided that they would offer a franchise to, to, one in, to put one in France. So as a performance director, I was involved in who actually got that, where it should be, um, and then they asked me in England to go and oversee the, the from the ground up what they were doing so that it would function. And so I, I was heavily involved in in the growth of that club. 
Um, but at the same time, I, I held a consultancy in, in relation to coach education in England. Mm. So uh, because when I got to England, there was no English Super League coaches coaching the top grade. I'm pleased to say that when I left, there were seven. Yeah. So that's one a year over six years. Mm. That to, to convince boards that what they had in their own backyard was well and truly capable of coaching Super League. Took a bit of so time. They had a lot of young coaches from other other countries that play rugby league learning their trade, uh, but they weren't growing a lot of their own. So that that process was in place, and that therefore I was they they kept me in the role of coaching director with one consultancy and had a consultancy from the other side to be the football manager as that club grew to identify the French talent to appoint a coach to have make sure that the, the grounds and the gym and the unit, all that sort of stuff that goes with growing a club yep. was being done properly. Mm. So well, that was a huge, that was a huge time, yeah. a huge time in my life. And, and it wasn't too long and sure enough, there's a whole lot of kids that played in the Challenge Cup final, mate, and they, and they were French. There you go. Yeah. Same same process, mate. <laughs> or pretty similar process. Well, with well, the, with well, the difficulty of language. Well, talking about the process then, and I mentioned Michael Dobson for a reason. He's now the head of Pathways here in Newcastle at the Knights. Um, yes, I'm aware of that. Is he someone that um, you've spoken to? No. No, not yet? No, no I haven't spoken No, I haven't spoken to him, no. Well, I'll, uh, do you mind if I give him your number? <laughs> I don't mind, mate. Because Anyone I, that knows me... Uh, if anyone that knows me well enough to know that I, I, I don't exclude people, um, I'm happy to talk to anyone. I get a, a lot of calls um, in relation to to coaching from either ex players that are under pressure as coaches or whatever. Um, but I, I don't mind offering advice. Well, well as you oh, said, I, as you said earlier, I'm, you're pretty sure that the the systems that you used back in in the day still apply. And, the principles, and, yeah. the principles of it, and I think this this uh, well, club's the principles lost. of it will, will apply. The, the the technology and stuffs improves. There will be some certainly some time savings in a, in, a, in a newer in, in a newer system. Um, the the key to it, as as we said, we've alluded all the way through from where it started, and the key to what where we finished over that time before we won the comp. And before we got to 92 semis, was due to the people that were in charge. The players are there. Okay, the, you don't have to worry about them. You've got plenty of players. It's identifying those players and putting into a system where those players grow. Mm. And it, that, that's the key to being successful um, in any system. Doesn't matter whether you're in France or whether you're in the UK or whether you're in Newcastle. The key is the, the quality of the personnel that are given the task and those tasks, they're held accountable to achieve those tasks. Uh, and if they can't achieve those tasks, they have to move on and you've got to try and find people that can do that task. We were very fortunate with the small group of people that started, that the, the blending of their minds and their, and their ideas um, was good enough to produce what it did. Uh, and that's obviously thanks to the the people who appointed those people and the quality of the leadership that that was the club was given in those early years. But, but it's uh, uh, and, as and you said before, that's the key. 
as you said, Sorry, mate. yeah, as you said before, it, it's it's all a part of getting the whole of Newcastle and the whole of the junior leagues all involved and doing it properly. I don't doubt. Well, club officials have come out and said that um, they've dropped the ball in this area at this club right, in I the last twenty heard. years. Um, the ball has been dropped in that area. Um, so maybe um, going back to what worked when when you were there is might be the key to moving forward. Yeah, well, it's certainly worth trying to identify what the common denominators were. You know, maybe it needs to be moved into a new area. It's like me saying, "What well, don't I coach first grade again?" You know, no, 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 no. that's not going to happen. So, um, talking to people who were involved. Uh, is is important understanding what what they were and what they thought, and either bringing that forward or moving in another direction, or someone might have a, a better idea. Those people of the past don't have, have experience, and that that experience needs to be used. But it's not the only way. It's not the only way. But there's some common denominators in some of the things that we've talked about. Yeah. That no matter what year it is, will work. So. Okay, well, when I see Dobbo next, I'll um, <laughs> give him your number, mate. You might even see him this weekend, so you might be able to. Oh, yeah, uh, I might. Yeah, uh, you might be able uh, to uh, arrange to catch up and, and, and have a chat because well, I think. You've got, a lot of, um, you've got a lot of people around that club and a lot of people from that club that I'm sure are still willing to um, to contribute to those things. I've heard from a few of them over the, over the years that uh, um, it's just a matter of. Uh, the proof of what are you going to do? Yeah. How are you going to go about it? Where's your focus? And it's a bit like doing what I'm doing now. I, I, I'd love someone from the, the uh, Rugby League Commission to spend a, a couple of weeks in my shoes as a as a, as a boss of a, a volunteer organisation and see what they put in yeah. to grassroots rugby league for nothing. Yeah. For nothing, and that's a that's a shrinking percentage of our population. We've got to be very careful how we treat uh, the grassroots of our game, mate. We've got to be very careful. Yep, no, I totally agree, mate. It's been um, I could talk for probably another hour, but um, uh, it's yeah, been a great pleasure to catch up. Um, good luck on the weekend. I'm sure you'll have a great time. Uh, well, so you going to the dungeon bar, mate? Or what? I'll probably call in. Yes, <laughs> at some point. Um, what well, is, to- da- is Dave Williams still there? What, no time, what time are you getting there? <laughs> oh, I don't know, mate. <laughs> yeah, there'll be know. there'll be a good crew there, I'm sure. Uh, well, I hope so. Yeah, I hope so. I'm sure it there will be. be fun. Yeah, it should be fun, mate. And this has been fun. Thanks very much for your time, buddy. That's uh, a pleasure, mate. Thanks, Wadey. No worries. Bye. There he is, David Waite, the um, former Newcastle Knights coach and development officer who, uh, as I say, um, there's a reason why all those players, all those local players, those, you know, players that went on to play for Australia, there's a reason why they, you know, were around and developed. And it's something that this club needs to get back to. And uh, he's certainly someone that I reckon the current hierarchy should be having a chat to. Um, um, certainly wouldn't hurt, put it that way. Okay, the, the mailbag. We're running overtime, aren't we, mate? But anyway, the mailbag. Um, Sean Sweeney talking about Lockie Miller. Okay, the reports Lockie Miller is um, going to be signing with English club Leeds. 
um, in the near future. I think it's going to happen. Uh, Sean says, we have fullbacks everywhere with Carlin Ponga, Will Price coming from England, David Armstrong, and Cessnock's finest sportsman, <laughs> Fletcher Sharp. Would be a good result cap-wise and an opportunity for Lockie to get regular footy. Yeah, fair enough too, Sean. Uh, Nathan, well, let's look at Kyle Felt. He's a good goal kicker as well. Uh, Kyle Felt from the North Queensland Cowboys. Uh, a vacant wing spot for next year with Dom Young going. So Nathan thinks that Kyle Felt could be the answer. I'm not so sure about that, to be honest, Nathan. Uh, Ryan Fraser. Will that now give us extra funds to go after a different wing option? That's, he's talking about Lockie Miller going. Um, well, it'll give us give the club an extra um, spot on the roster, put it that way. Um, whether they go after another wing option, um, I would think that they might look at maybe bringing a middle forward in uh, if Miller goes. We'll wait and see. Julian Vella. Hi, Baz. Do you think the fact the Sharks get an extra three days rest between this weekend's match will be a big advantage for them. Uh, by the way, loving how the boys are playing. Yeah, they are playing well, Julian, aren't they? The, the three days extra rest. Look, the Knights have got seven days. They've got a seven-day turnaround, Sunday to Sunday. So I don't think there's uh, there's a couple of blokes, or a couple of players in a little bit of doubt maybe. Um, but I don't think the extra three days will give them much of an advantage. Um, Knights will certainly have the advantage of the home ground and another 29-plus thousand crowd to cheer them on, hopefully. Marty, hi, Baz. Yes, we are nearly going perfect, but surely shallow bombs that we use aren't going to cut it against the top teams. Your thoughts? Yeah, Marty, I'm not a fan of the shallow bomb either, to be honest. Um, midfield bombs, I'd prefer, you know, it's a, it's a game of... of um, well, it, you you want to be playing the the game down their end, so I, I think uh, if you, the clearing kicks for me, you'd like to see them uh, touch a bit of ground for a start, touch a bit of turf. But um, yeah, um, a, a halfway mid midfield bomb doesn't do it for me either, mate. To be honest, um, Ben Payne, hey Baz, I am loving the effort and emotion shown from all the boys. Have you ever seen KP as excited as he was at full time? Um, on the weekend, do you think he has come into his own as a leader? Uh, look, Kalen Ponga's form has just been sensational, absolutely sensational. And given where it's where he's come from at the start of the season, where where his career looked like it was in jeopardy um, with the head knocks, to what he's doing at the moment, he's playing with a lot of confidence. He loves, you know, the big stage, and he loves the the crowds, the the, the support that the players are getting is uh, is sensational and you know they're they're responding i think there's you know the crowd's responding to the players and the way they're playing and the players are responding to the support of the crowd simple as that and as far as kp goes as being a leader yeah i don't doubt that his uh, leadership has improved considerably i know that there's two or three other guys tyson frizzell being one um adam elliott's another one dane gagai that are all excelling in the leadership side of things. Um, so just some very encouraging signs. Matt Ambram, uh, so Davey Armstrong and Fletcher Sharp, the next fullback options for 2024. Yeah, look, um, 
spot on. Davey Armstrong's in the top 30 next year, the uh, New South Wales Cup fullback. So um, if Lockie Miller goes, then those two, you know, probably will be fighting it out. Hopefully they won't play too many games um, as far as, you know, replacing Kalen goes. But um, certainly, you know, with another big off-season for both of them, um, training, then um, hopefully the, the coaches have got to get them ready. Simple as that. That's that's where it is at the moment with all those young guys. The coaches have got to um, – they're the ones that have got to bring them through. David Waite talked about the development of those of players. Well, that's what the coaches are there for. Uh, Dean, great news for Lockie. He's too good to be in Reggie's at his age. Glad he's got a shot somewhere, even if it's bittersweet in losing him. How does depth look for 24 Gagai as a backup, and then possibly Will Price, are Armstrong or Sharp in line for a development deal or a top 30? Well, Davy Armstrong is top 30 next year, and um, Fletcher Sharp is on a development deal. So they're both eligible, um, well, at some stage, and Armstrong's eligible from the start of the season. Sharp will become eligible to play first grade. But you're right, Dane Gagai can fill in at uh, fullback, and Will Price, we'll have to see how he goes when he gets over here but he's a possibility as, as a potential fullback as well if if need be so it's not all doom and gloom as far as that goes uh kip thompson if miller does go to leeds do you think that means the club will be looking for three outside backs to fill their roster or will they look for a forward i think they'll look for a forward kip i think they'll they'll replace potentially replace Lockie miller with a forward a middle forward uh, Lee Mather, good job we didn't give up any promising youngsters for him. As in, <laughs> a bit of sarcasm there from Lee. Uh, talking about Max Bradbury going to Cronulla in, in a swap deal with Lockie Miller. Um, some some of those decisions you've got to make uh, at the time for the good of the club. Uh, Melissa, we are allowing our depth to... Uh, hang on, let me read this properly. We are allowing our depth to leave before the contract is up. Okay, depth player is what you mean, Melissa, obviously, to leave before the contract is up. So I don't think compensation is unrealistic. Good luck to Lockie. Yeah, I don't disagree, Melissa. If it was the other way around, you can bet your life the Pommy Clubs would be wanting um, to get a transfer fee out of the Knights if they were keen on a player. But, um, yeah... Um, just depends on whether the Knights are, you know, happy to let Lockie Miller go to free up a spot. That might be a little bit of truth in that as well. Uh, Duggo, good for both parties. You can't have a guy on his coin playing New South Wales Cup and the club could put the money to good use. He'll be a star in the Super League. Good on you, Duggo. Chris, Will Price isn't coming over to play Cup. Given Price was signed while Ponga was playing six, where does he fit into the side in 24? Look, Will Price is a 20-year-old kid at the moment, so just to say that he's coming over um, and will slot straight into NRL, um, I think you're being a little bit um, optimistic, to be honest. He can play fullback, he can play 5'8", he could play in the centres, could possibly play on the wing, Will Price. So he'll be given every opportunity to uh, let the coaching staff know where he could be best utilised next year KD, hey Baz, wish Miller all the best and good on him but surely the club needs to take a bit of a look at itself for letting go of what it did for arguably nothing in the end well yeah, that's that's good in hindsight KD that they they uh, had to let go Max Bradbury to get 
Lockie Miller to the club. Um, yeah, you look at that in hindsight now and you think, well, okay, they probably sh- shouldn't have happened, but um, they needed a full back at the time and he was uh, the best option. So that's what you do. Uh, Alex, when was the last time you saw a Knights team that had a crack the way we are this year? I've been a fan since 2006 and I can't remember any really close. Um, well, for this sort of period, Alex, um, seven wins on the trot when they're really having a crack. I mean, there's been games where um, in the past, even when they're at their lowest ebb, where I thought that the team had a real crack, but certainly um, playing at the uh, level that they're playing at the moment for the extended period of time. No, it's, it's been a while. Uh, John Pritchard, be a, give, a good move for Lockie. I think his speed and talent will be suited to the Super League. Agree, John? Totally agree. Uh, Cherry, hey, Baz, what's your thoughts on Corey Oates? Are we a genuine chance to get him? Do you think Tom Jenkins from Penrith is a better option for us given the age differential? Uh, my understanding is that Corey Oates is asking for a hell of a lot of money and the Knights won't pay that. So unless he's... Asking price comes down a hell of a lot um, from what he's what he's wanting. Then uh, I don't think Corey Oates will be coming here. Maybe that might change. But um, as far as Tom Jenkins goes, yeah, a few people have thrown his name up. I don't doubt that the Knights are looking at a, a couple of players from from Penrith. I'm sure they're looking at other players as well that uh, could become options in the near future for that wing spot that Dom Young is vacating. Matt Blake, any increase in the appetite to re-sign Kurt Mann, playing well in my opinion, but who isn't at the moment? Yeah, he is playing well, Blake, but uh, he won't be at the Knights next year, mate. Um, simple as that. I actually ran into Kurt Mann after, uh, in the tunnel after the game last weekend and I said to him, um, mate, I'd hate to be your body. <laughs> and he uh, looked at me and said, yeah, look, I'm bit bashed up at the moment he's just um he, he hasn't got the body for what he does what he wants to do on the footy field basically um yeah he's just uh, an absolute goer out there and picking up and driving blokes and and uh yes so i imagine most monday mornings he wakes up pretty sore uh dave crawford it feels like the team is playing for the town for the first time in ages ponga ramping up the crowd at the end Try scorers celebrating with the crowd, really meaningful fan interaction. There is a noticeable and visible passion in the side. Yep, totally agree, Dave. How good is it? Fantastic. Fantastic. Uh, Tom Hagen, the Mayor of Scone. Hi, Baz. Can you name your 13 of ultimate pains in your Twitter backside? <laughs> I'd like to nominate Steve Kidd as the captain coach. <laughs> Just to get the ball rolling. Oh, kitty. Uh, Off the top of my head, Tom, look, my memory's hopeless. I think I've maybe blocked, I might have blocked two or three people in my whole life um, on Twitter. Um, I I might have silenced a couple of others at times, but um, probably only blocked a couple, and I can't even remember who they are. So I don't know from one week to the next who's giving me heaps and who's not and who's... uh, yeah, Kitty. Yeah, no, Kitty's pretty good for a Roosters fan. Kitty's not a bad fellow, actually. Uh, oh, here's one from Kitty to follow. Tough crowd. I don't annoy Baz. Oh, sorry, I don't even annoy Baz. I just comment on some of the absolute tripe that comes his way. 
I might throw the odd jab in there for a good fun. Yeah. yeah that's pretty fair, Kitty. That's fair. Um, ben, so guessing this means we now have three spots to fill in the top 30 for next year. How much cash does it free up? Uh, yeah, three spots to fill. Probably f- probably frees up about 300, an extra 300,000. So we'll see what they come up with as a replacement. Uh, Grant. So last week, there was a lot of talk about how poor the Knights treat members. If you were the Knights and could do one thing to fix it, what would you do? Um, oh, Grant, off the top of my head, I, I, I think engagement is what the Mount Knights members want the most. That's my, my feeling on it. Um, and that's engagement with the players. Um, so whatever the club can do, from from that point of view for its members, um, that's what I'd be looking at doing. Um, get the players involved. Get the get the, the get the members. Get the rusted on members, the ones that pay their money every year, um, to you know to, to functions where the players are there, so they can mingle with the players. That's what they love, mingling with the players. So any any of that sort of stuff, I think. Um, the members would love, and and I think you'll find that that's probably what's what they're looking at now. To be honest, uh, a bit more of that. Uh, Matt Black, shame it cost us our most promising up and coming front row forward in Max Bradbury. He's talking about the signing of of uh, Lockie Miller, who now looks like he's going to go to England. Um, yeah, look, I will say this about Max: he's he's gone to Cronulla and probably struggled a little bit this year. Um, I don't know that he's um, been a regular, even in their jersey flag term. I think he's had some injuries, which probably hampered him a little bit. Um, look, there's no guarantees with any of the young players as to whether they're going to um, kick on and become a regular NRL player. Simple as that. And the club made a decision to allow Max to um, explore the opportunity to go go to Cronulla and he was happy to do that and he and he wanted to go in the end so um, good luck to him let's hope he kicks on um, I know Knights fans will if he does Knights fans will look back and say well there's another one we let go but um, some sometimes you've got to make decisions that you think at the time is in the best interest of the club uh, Ben Purser talking about Tom Hagen here by the look of things this is potentially the greatest podcast question of all time <laughs> don't Encouraging Ben, lay it all bare, Baz. Tell the truth. Let the truth be heard. Actually, end of year awards on the podcast should be done. Best question, worst question, most asked, worst supporters, best most questions. <laughs> what do you reckon, mate? Well, I can tell you straight away the the most asked question I reckon this year has been: Can we get Dom Young to backflip on his move to? Uh, to the Roosters. I don't think there's a week gone past since that since he announced he was going that, that someone hasn't asked, is he going to backflip? Um, so that's probably the most asked question that I've had. Uh, Daz Mackay, are there any front rowers that the Knights are targeting for next season and 2025? Well, they weren't, Daz, but they might target someone now. If, if Lock, Lockie Miller does go to England, then I think um, there will be someone that they might look at. Uh, who? I don't know. Um, Adam... Adam Chris, hi Baz. If Lockie Miller leaves, can we keep Jack Johns now? Um, yeah, I don't know that Jack's going to be kept, to be honest, Adam. A few people have asked that, uh, but I don't know that it's going to happen. Uh, 
Uh, Gordon Johnson, do we win the comp, Barry? <laughs> <laughs> wow, they're going to have to win a lot of games in a row, just about, uh, Gordon, to make that happen. Uh, stranger things have happened, and they're playing well enough to be at least in the conversation. If they can maintain the form they're in at the moment, then um, they'll have a few clubs, at, you know, in, in the top echelon of clubs. They've nearly beat Penrith already this year. They've nearly beat the Broncos on their home ground. So I think they're a team that... Uh, the others will be wary of put it that way if they can get into the finals and advance that first week then who knows look out uh kano it's been 20 years since we won seven in a row do i dare ask when we won eight well we won eight in a row kano in 2001 the year they won the comp uh round six from memory round six to round 13 i think was the was the stretch of eight straight wins and that came after I think in round five, I think Brisbane beat them by 40 in round five. And then they went on an eight-game winning streak and then went on to win the comp after that uh, or eventually. So hopefully some parallels maybe if they win this week. Uh, Tracy Breeze, last one. We have been overseas since the winning streak started. If anyone would like to start a GoFundMe page, we will stay away. (laughs) Good on you, Tracy. Good on you. I'm not sure you'll get much support for that. And, I, and I, to be fair, Tracy, I think if you come back, I think that there's a fair chance the winning streak might continue, hopefully. Um, anyway. Okay, well, that's that's a big one. A big one today. Went for a fair while today. But uh, David Waite was fascinating to talk to. And, and uh, a big weekend this weekend. Old Boys Day on Sunday at... Uh, at McDonald Jones Stadium. The 92's team will be honoured on the day. Uh, there'll be 29,000 there. Can't wait. Can't wait. And I also can't wait for next week's podcast. We'll be back again for another edition. See you then. Bye.